0: Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. You have your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. And thank you to Dustin and to our singers and our musicians this morning. It's just a very sweet time of worship today. I want you to be praying for Dustin's wife, Rebecca. If you did not hear, she was diagnosed with COVID this week. Uh, Now, Dustin's already had it. He had it back in December, so he's not contagious. But uh, Rebecca is feeling well, so we thank God for that. But just pray for her as she gets over that, and we miss her this morning. Well, today is sermon number two in our series through the book of Hebrews. And last week we said that Hebrews is, in essence, one big sermon about Jesus. And specifically, that Jesus is better. He's a better messenger than the angels, a better mediator than any human priest, and he is the maker of a better covenant. But it's the first one of those that we're going to talk about today. Jesus is better than the angels. Now, if you're wondering where we get that from, we're actually introduced to this truth last week in verse 4, where it literally says, Jesus is so much better than the angels. Now, that's not to denigrate angels. And I want to make that very clear. Angels are the faithful messengers of God. And we are very grateful for them. They serve an important purpose in the kingdom. And we see them all throughout scripture. And as we'll see as we go through this series, angels are talked about quite a bit in this book. But the author of Hebrews also Wants to make sure that we unmistakably understand that the angels of heaven are not on the same level as Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. We worship him and him alone. We must not ever worship angels. Now that may seem rather obvious and some might say well why would you devote an entire sermon to that? Well mainly because the author of Hebrews devotes a good portion of His letter to this topic. And as always, we want the content of our preaching to be derived directly from the biblical text. There's a reason that God included this passage in his word. Obviously, he thinks it's something that we need to hear. The fact is, it has not been uncommon for man to worship angels or at least to have an unhealthy infatuation with them. Take, for instance, the apostle John in the book of Revelation. Now, John was an extremely godly man, but in the last chapter of that book, chapter 22, even he gets a little carried away. John falls down to worship the angel who showed him things that would take place in the future. And the angel's response to John's gesture is quite adamant. He says, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. And then he says, worship God. The angel rebuked, he corrected John for trying to worship him. Another example from history of improper worship of angels was a sect of Jews that lived near Qumran on the Dead Sea at the time that the book of Hebrews was written. This religious sect had some influence, and one of the things that it taught was that Michael the archangel was equal to or even greater than the Messiah. Some scholars believe that the author of Hebrews actually had this group in mind when he penned this section about angels that we're looking at today. And that's why he wanted to make abundantly clear, no, Jesus is not on par with the angels. He's greater than the angels. Closer to our own day, in the latter part of the 20th century, some of you may remember there was a period where there was an obsession with angels in the culture at large. Magazines and talk shows were talking about angels. There were books about angels. There were television shows like Highway to Heaven. Anybody remember that one? Michael Landon back in the 80s? Touched by an angel in the 90s. Very popular show that tapped into this interest. In response to this, Billy Graham wrote a book entitled Angels that became quite popular. And some of you have no doubt read that. Here's the thing. There's nothing new under the sun, right? It's what Ecclesiastes tells us. So you can bet that somewhere down the road, if we live long enough and Jesus tarries long enough, once again, there will be a fascination with angels. And some people will take that too far and they will pray to angels and they will worship angels and they will write unbiblical books about angels. And hopefully somewhere in the back of your mind, you'll think, that goofy preacher we used to have, what was his name? I think he preached on this one time. And what book was that that talked about angels? Oh, I think it was Hebrews. At least I hope and pray that's what happens, is that the Holy Spirit will bring this text back to your mind. The most important thing to know with this passage or any other is that God's Word is always relevant. It is always applicable, and there is always a purpose behind every single jot and tittle in the Word of God. Of that we can be assured. So let's dig into this text, and from these verses, we're going to derive five reasons why Jesus is better than the angels. So let's just get right into it, and let's start by reading verse 5. The author says, For to which of the angels did he, the father, ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Here's the first reason Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the angels because he is the only begotten son, and angels are not. To put it very simply, who's greater? A son or a servant? A prince or a page? An heir or an errand boy? We know the answer to that, don't we? The son is greater. And verse 5 makes clear Jesus is the son, not the angels. Again, that's not to knock angels They serve an important role. We're thankful for them. We don't want to disrespect them in any way. I'm sure that they're here among us even now. But if we could hear them, they would say to us, don't worship us. We're not the Son. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. To drive home this point, the author of Hebrews quotes two passages from the Old Testament, one from the Psalms and one from 2 Samuel. These are likely in italics in your Bible to show that They are quotations. Both of these passages speak to the sonship of Jesus Christ. You are my son. And again, he shall be to me a son. Now, we understand when scripture refers to Jesus as the only begotten of the Father, or as it says in verse 6, the firstborn, it's not literally saying there is a point in history When Jesus was begotten or that when Jesus was born. For scripture tells us that Jesus has always been from eternity past. Rather these are terms denoting Jesus' unique and special position of honor. As the only son of God. They are terms of standing and not sequence. Verse 5 goes on to point out God has never told the angels that they are his begotten sons. God never tells the angels that he is their father. Those things are only said, in this context, to Jesus. Thus, Jesus alone is worthy of praise and glory. We must not take what is rightfully his, namely our worship, and give it to angels. We must not take what is rightfully the sons and give it to the servants. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the only begotten son of God, and they are not. Let's keep reading and see what else we can learn. Look at verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Point number two is this. Jesus is better than the angels because they worship him, not vice versa. To illustrate this point, the author of Hebrews quotes again. He quotes seven times from the Old Testament in this passage that we're going to look at today. But he quotes here from Psalm 97 and or Deuteronomy 32. Those are very similar passages. It could have been either one or both. And again, many of you will see italics in your Bibles indicating that this is a quotation. In each of these passages, God commands the gods, lowercase g, which can also be translated as angels, to worship Christ, who is portrayed in each of these passages as pouring out wrath and judgment on the enemies of God. For this reason, when verse 6 says that God brings the firstborn, brings Jesus into the world, it's probably not talking about the incarnation there when Jesus came into this world as a baby. It's more than likely talking about the second coming of Christ, when he returns as judge and king. If so, the picture that's being painted here in verse 6 is that when Jesus comes back in the clouds with all of his glory, that God will command the angels to worship him and to give him praise. And honestly, the angels love their king. So I bet they'll already be praising him. They'll be excited when Jesus comes back for his church. But the point is you won't find in scripture anywhere where Jesus worships the angels. They always worship him. They worship him because he is better. Let's continue reading verses 7 through 9. The author of Hebrews continues to drive this point home. He says, "And of the angels," he says, in quote or excuse me, in italics there, "who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire." But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Here's the third reason Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than them because he is king. Whereas angels are ministers who do his bidding. So first, let's talk about Jesus being king. Verse 8 speaks to the throne of Jesus being forever and ever. Of his reign, there will be no end. That same verse speaks of Jesus having the scepter of righteousness. The scepter, of course, was the ornamental staff of kings, which they would carry at royal ceremonies and use to acknowledge those who were seeking their audience. Again, it's a symbol of royalty, showing that Jesus is king. Verse 9 depicts God the Father anointing Jesus with oil, just as would be done in the coronation of a new king. All of this imagery is meant to show what we in this room already know, that Jesus is king of kings, that he is Lord of lords. That he sits on a throne at the right hand of the Father and sovereignly rules and reigns over his eternal kingdom. He is King Jesus. This, however, is not the place or role of the angels. Just as verse 6 says that the angels worship Jesus, verse 7 implies that they serve him. They do his bidding. Verse 7 quotes from Psalm 104 and saying that angels are spirits, or that can also be translated as winds, that they are God's ministers who resemble a flame of fire. The imagery of wind is a reference to angels' swiftness as the messengers of God. And the imagery of fire is a reference to their brilliant brightness and radiance, reflecting the glory and holiness of God. If you look at examples in scripture of humans having interactions with angels, the angels always frighten them. Why? Because they've come directly from the Shekinah glory of God. They're shining, they're bright, they're brilliant. These angels, they're they're not just little cherubs sitting on clouds playing harps. Again, if you know the scripture, the angels of God are fast and they are fierce. They are not warm and cuddly, but they are awe-inspiring and fearsome. But the key word there in verse 7 is that angels are ministers. Or some translations say servants. The point is that the angels' whole purpose... The whole reason for their existence is to minister to or serve the people of God at the direction of King Jesus. We'll actually talk more about this when we get to verse 14. But for now, what I want us to see is a distinction that the author of Hebrews makes here. Jesus is king. The angels are merely his ministers, his servants who do his bidding. Again, the point being... The whole point of this text this morning, Jesus is better. He is higher. He is greater than the angels. All right, what does God the Father say to his son next? Look with me, if you would, at verses 10 through 12. And the author of Hebrews goes on in quoting the Old Testament. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. Reason number four why Jesus is better than the angels is because he is the eternal creator. Whereas angels were created by him. These verses remind us once again that Jesus is the creator of the world. Verse 10 borrows from Psalm 102 saying, In the beginning the Lord laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of his hands. So the author of Hebrews is ascribing this psalm to Jesus. He is saying that this psalm from the Old Testament finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And not only did Jesus create everything in existence, but our passage also says that one day Jesus will bring everything to its end. Again, borrowing imagery from the Psalms. Verse 12 says, There is coming a day when Jesus will fold the cosmos up like a cloak. He's going to take this old world, this dirty garment, this dirty rag reeking of sin, and he's going to change it like a dirty diaper. And he's going to make it new again. The author of Hebrews goes on to say in verse 11, The earth itself will perish, but not Jesus. He, it says, remains. Verse 12 says, The universe will be changed, but not Jesus. It says that he is the same and his years will never fail. Later in this book we'll see where it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. What a comfort to know in changing times that Jesus never changes. He is our rock. We can cling to him. He will always be there. He is the eternal creator. He was there with the Father in the beginning. But the same cannot be said of the angels. While it's not explicitly stated here, it's certainly implied. The angels weren't there in the beginning with the Father. They did not take part in the creation of the world. Rather, they are created beings. Psalm 148, speaking of the angels of heaven, says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. God spoke the angels into existence as he did everything else that we know. Like us, the angels are part of the creation. In fact, Psalm 8 says that man was made just a little lower than the angels. Just a little bit lower than them. So, let's be sure that we have a nice, bright line distinguishing Jesus from the angels. Jesus is the creator who is blessed forever, according to Romans 1. And the angels are part of his creation. This is another reason Why, Jesus is better. He's higher. He's greater than the angels. Well, the last reason Jesus is better than the angels, as spelled out in our text today, is found in verses 13 and 14. Let's look at those verses. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Point number five is this. Jesus is better than the angels because he sits at the right hand of the father. Whereas angels minister to the elect. They minister to God's people. The author of Hebrews points out once again that it is Jesus who occupies the highest place of honor in heaven. Sitting at the right hand of the father... And not the angels. In fact, verse 13 quotes Psalm 110. In which the father says to the son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I love that verse. There's coming a day when all the enemies of Christ, all the men down through the ages who have opposed Jesus. And persecuted his bride, the church, will stand in judgment ...before Almighty God and they will give an account for their actions. Verse 13 says such men will be placed under the feet of Jesus. He will use them as his footstool. Men such as Pharaoh and Nero and Hitler and countless other enemies of God... ...will bow before King Jesus and he will crush them under his heel. That cannot be said for any other person or being in the universe... Not even the angels will get that privilege. Only Jesus. So if angels are not at the right hand of God, as Jesus is, and if the enemies of God will not be made their footstool, as they will for Jesus, then where are the angels? What are they doing? What even is their purpose? Verse 14 gives us the answer to that. It says that angels are ministering spirits, sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. In other words, the primary job of angels is to take care of the people of God. And goodness knows some of us need a whole lot of taking care of. Some of us need more watching over than others. But that's the angel's role. That's their purpose. Is to take care of God's elect, to minister to God's people, to all of those it says who will inherit Eternal life. And I think that you can make a good case that includes those whom God knows in his foreknowledge are his people but have not yet been converted. In other words, God sends his angels to watch over his elect even before we actually become a Christian. I'm sure there's more than one person in this room who would testify. The only reason I'm alive and following Christ today is because I know that God was protecting me. When I was lost and living foolishly. If we had any idea how often God sent his angels to minister to us and to protect us, I think it would blow our minds. I think it would humble us. And God is so good, isn't he, to watch over us. His grace is amazing. But the point for our purposes today is to distinguish between Jesus and the angels. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to accomplish here. Angels serve an important role. They serve a vital role as ministers to God's people. But they are not the ones sitting at the right hand of God, using his enemies as their footstool. That spot is reserved for Jesus and him alone. For all these reasons, again, Jesus is better than the angels. Now, as we reflect on what we've covered today, I think if I were you... If I were in your shoes, I'd probably be asking the question, so what? Jesus is better than the angels, so what? What does that mean to me? How do I apply that to my life? How do I apply that to my faith? I'm glad you asked. I would suggest two things, all right? Number one, it is helpful for us to know and acknowledge that there is a tendency in humans, I think it's part of our fallen nature, To gravitate toward worshiping the creation, as in angels, rather than the creator. Romans 1 addresses this, speaking of those, it says, who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. As we've established today, angels, while they are supernatural beings and heavenly beings, they're just creatures. They're not divine in the sense that they're, they're God. They're, they're created, again, just a little bit higher than us. And so it's wrong of us to elevate angels to the place of Jesus. We must not worship them. We must not ever pray to them. We must not revere them in our hearts. Even if we believe that an angel has helped us at some point, we can appreciate them, but we must not hold them in reverence. We only revere God and his son Jesus Who sends them to us. Second application. This is the final point today. If the angels of heaven. Who have direct access to God. And see him and know him in a way that we presently cannot. If they with all that they know. Worship Jesus. And serve Jesus. How much more should we. Listen to the angels this morning. Listen to the text. They love Jesus. They worship him. They minister to him. They do his bidding. Remember what the angel told the shepherds? I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. There is born of you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He was pumped. That angel was excited. He was genuinely happy that Jesus had come. And then all the angels joined in. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. They were so excited for us that Jesus had come, that he had made a way for us to come to the Father. If Jesus is the Lord and King of the holy angels of heaven, then let him be our Lord and King as well. And if you're here today and you're ready to follow Jesus the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, the one who one day will return to judge the living and the dead, then scripturally all you must do is admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you and rose again and commit your life fully to serving him, to living for him. You know what the Bible says happens when even one sinner repents? It says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. They celebrate, they rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I hope that you'll find me after the service or Pastor Bill or any mature Christian in this room and say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. And we'd love to share with you more about that. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. And then we're going to have a closing song. Father, thank you for this text that we have read today. Um, Lord, thank you for your angels. We thank you. They are ministers to us, and we're grateful for them. But God, help us to remember that no being in this universe can ever take the place of your son, Jesus. Lord, we know that if we, must, or if we come to you, it must be through him. And so, God, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never put their faith in Jesus Christ and turn from their sin, that they would do that this very day. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.